Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. As, as my rabbis in yeshiva would say, you know, in, in Jewish law, love is not an emotion. Love is a series of responsibilities, right? So it's this was often t- used in the conversation about like the halachic prenup, you know, and, for, and, and making sure couples like sign a document before a wedding to, you know. Um, in case anything would go wrong, but often there was sort of like a speech that would go with it about like, oh, you know, love is about, um, you know, demonstrating your, you know, care through responsibilities, not through through emotions, but through saying even when things aren't good, you know, there's certain obligations that we vow to meet to one another, um, which is kind of what we wanted to talk about tonight, thinking specifically about Amir and Ifat in this episode, in episode 12 of season two um and you know specifically kind of the marital conjugal responsibilities that you know for amir and and the challenge that comes up here where of course they're having fertility issues they you know ifad has been taking these pills that make her crazy for the possibility of pushing off her cycle a little bit um or you know uh, you know, changing, you know, adjusting her cycle somewhat so that she would be able to do the, you know, observe Nida in a traditional way and still have sort of a fertility window, um, you know, basically she, that, that she would still be, um, when she goes to mikvah, she would still be kind of in a fertile, you know, a more fertile window of her cycle. So she's been doing all this work on her end. And I think, I don't think that the, I don't think the pills are to mess with her cycle. I think the pills are to to up her fertility and her hormones. Um, if they, because if they had to do with her cycle, not to like. I wasn't sure if they were delaying. Whatever the opposite of whatever the opposite of mansplaining is, not to do that to you right now. But um, <laughs> but but if they were if they were to alter her her period then they would also not be allowing her to get pregnant. So I think that these are pills to actually give her more home hormone, not, not to all. Yeah. Thank you. Anyway, continue. That sounds great. Either way. There we go. Thank you for explaining. When you come Um, here as a scholar in residence, we can teach on this topic together. um, That was right. We did that once together. We were joined kind of scholar residences once. Um, but, But, and also Playing with the hormones makes you crazy. Right. So that's why that makes sense that her craziness comes from the increased hormones. And she's like, okay, I'm doing this. Amir, you need to get off that first night of Milouim, right? For people who aren't familiar, by the way, right, that most Israeli people, I think men and women who served in the army, are obligated typically once a month to go for a... Um, you know, for a, a couple of days for what they call Milouim, like reserve duty, like what Amir is doing, usually not on the front lines unless there's a war, but kind of something, you know, they, you go and you serve and you have the same group of people who you serve with every month. Um, but of course, the timing is just kind of exactly off. And it seems like Amir is trying pretty hard, but not hard enough or not successfully enough. And Yifat's response is like, I'm doing all of this work and you're not meeting me halfway, right? As Debbie's saying, he doesn't speak up enough. I, I, so I think it's the question is, is it speaking up enough or he's not willing to 
say what's going on, right? Like he says, I need to be off that night. I need to be off that night. If he says like, we're having fertility issues, my wife is trying really hard to, you know, is take, right? Like perhaps if he explained the situation and is like, this is really like a one, like we, we really just, it has to be tonight. Maybe they'd be more agreeable, but like he doesn't say it. He just says, I really need to be off. I really need to be off. What if he called prior to showing up, right? Um, this is a good question. I don't know that that would have made a difference. I think sometimes with those things, it's sort of like you show up and then you then you request leave. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, you know, so yeah, I think part of it is not speaking up. Part of it is he's very reluctant to acknowledge, like to admit things not being quote unquote like right or th- like right. He's things like this, things like. Mm-hmm my wife we're having fertility issues like are not things that he tends to be good at disclosing to people and um, he's really tries to keep those things internal and as a result he ends up not being able to you know um have situations resolved the way they could be resolved potentially so yes. karen, karen has her hand up so does renee and then we can go back to the topic yeah okay. so i was karen, just writing so, in the chat what where is this uh, gate that they were is that usual that there are gates and people? Yeah, I think it's a base. I think it's an army base. Like I was saying, for Milouim, usually, like the soldiers on Milouim are you, like, right? I mean, they can be anywhere. I think you're on Milouim until you're 50. So, like, often they're not like the 18 year old types. It's sort of like you're helping out. If there's a war, then you're called up to the front lines. But typically, Milouim are going to, you know, they're going to, jobs like this, jobs like being on overnight watch duty like opening gates for an army base thing like where you're it's a soldier job but not like a hardcore soldier. but this was not any territory in israel that had to be guarded or people can only be let in or you know it was about a base it seemed like it was an army base to me it was kind of, a, it was kind of unclear there was there was barbed wire on one side and which made me think that potentially that he was at a checkpoint but it clearly wasn't a checkpoint that was being used for people by foot because then we would have seen people walk through. So it's it's unclear where he was, but as Ray Pernick said, that those types of jobs, um, they're just trying to keep their soldiers kind of with it and like in the game um, so that if they are called up to actual active service, they they've been in the field, so to speak, a little bit. Um, there are certain types of uh, units that if you were in a kind of higher up, usually intelligence type unit, that if you are in Israel, that you have a longer period of Miluidin time, whether or not you live there. So I actually have a very good friend who's married to an Israeli and she was not able to go to live in Israel for her rabbinical school year because had her husband been uh, in Israel for a, for a period of time, he would have been called into reserves, not just for a few days, but probably for a few months um, based on the unit that he was in when he was actually in active service. So it depends, but it seems as though Amir was just doing kind of like his due diligence to the army for that for that period of time. Uh, Renee and then Norm. So two things along those lines. It did look like it might have been a barter, but 
they didn't, um, he didn't check the cars that were coming through. He just let them, he just opened the gate and let them through. So that was a little concerning to me if it was a border crossing. And also, um, you were saying, Rabbi Pernick, that, sorry about the dog, about, um, them doing a, uh, talk that he could have spoken to the, the head, um, of the unit or whatever and told him, and told him that, uh, what was the reason that he wanted the, the, the release? But had he done that, isn't it true that, like, if he had done that, that it could have caused embarrassment to his wife? And so that's, that's kind of against Orthodox principles anyway, right? I mean, because we're, supposed to, we're not supposed to do things that put people like on the spot or. Correct. But if he's saying to his commander, you know, my wife and I are having fertility challenges. We're really trying very hard to get pregnant. The doctors have advised that whatever it is, like, it's, I don't know if it's putting her on. I mean, she, for one thing, she's not in touch with this commander. So the commander doesn't know her. She just knows. Oh, but other, they may have other people in common. You don't know if the commander is going to happen to mention it just by chance to, I don't know. I, I, was, I was just thinking about that. Maybe. It yeah. Isn't no, anything. I mean, the embarrassment piece. Right. So for one thing, if she gave permission, that would be fine to say, you know, like if she said, tell him what's happening. Yeah. But also. Um, That's what I was thinking, actually, when she talked to him and she said, you have to ask. I I thought, is she telling him, go ahead and tell him that this is why you need it? Yeah. Which maybe she is. And he just being a mirror is like, yeah, doesn't want to say that. I, I need to be away. Um, yeah. Um, Esther was saying she thinks Milalim is once a year. I think it really depends. Milalim rules kind of. I, really, I think for most people, it's like one weekend a month. I think that's the most typical, but I, I think it really depends. Like Rabbi Shatz. It's less than that. Or maybe less than that. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, that's, you know, the embarrassment piece is a big piece, but I think for like, right, he, he's not, right, if he says it in a way, like we're having fertility challenges, this is what the doctors recommended. It's not like my wife can't get pregnant. <laughs> like it's sort of like we don't know exactly what's going on. We're having challenges. The doc, like this is what the doctor recommends. You know, he said if we, you know, this is sort of the night. I don't know. It's a, a possibility that that would. Okay, work. and after after we get we hear from Jeff or Linda or or both and Norm, um, you can also speak to like the halachic piece of what as a man he's supposed to kind of avail himself of. Um, so I'll set you up for that. And I think that that part of this whole communication business is also that Amir Amir doesn't say anything to his commander, and Yifat gets very angry, but doesn't really say like, "I understand that you need to be gone. This is important to me. Can we figure out a way to to do this?" The communication is just not. They are not communicating effectively to one another in in any way. I don't think. She's uh, also in the hardcore homeroom girl stuff, so that doesn't. No, 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 for sure. I'm not saying that either of them is at fault, like completely. I'm just saying I think that there would have been another way for maybe Amir to understand how dire this was for her, um, and then for him to actually say something about it. But neither of them were communicating either of those two things in a healthy way for them to understand that. Um, Norm, and then Jeff and Orlinda. I think that um, it would be very surprising to me if he was somebody who would be able to be open with, you know, his commander or pretty much anybody else 
yeah. about the fact that they were having trouble. And you say, well, he shouldn't put, say that she's having difficulty because, you know, the only other option is that he's having difficulty. And I think there are relatively few men who are able to be open with that. And it's not surprising at all that he's not one of them. I'm sure that I know several people who have had these difficulties and have overcome them, but there's only one I know who was open about it. And when he told us about it, I was very amazed that he was, and I have great respect for him for this and other things. I was very surprised he was willing to be open about that to people that he wasn't that close to. Um, So, because I think it's really unusual to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, first of all, I think you're, you're right. And even when we talk about infertility, kind of like from the Jewish lens, there's always a fertility, infertility Shabbat and all those kinds of things. Very often it's the, the, um, the experience that is, that is spoken about and the, the testimonies is the word I was looking for that are often shared are from a woman's perspective. You're right, Norm. And I think that, that there needs to be a little bit more of like the male um, um, comfort around discussing those kinds of things. Because as you said, if it's not one, it's the other. So being able to really have a community around that and understand it is really important for both genders. Uh, okay, Jeff and or Linda. I just wanted to say as a, as a uh, person who is in the Army Reserve, was in the Army Reserve, not Israel, it's very difficult going to commanding officer and asking for special treatment for anything. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, very intimidating. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for adding that for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to, it seems like there is some level of like rapport that he has with these commanders. It seems like maybe, you know, like the, the fact that he's calling them like, the, the relationship sort of seemed closer than I would have assumed with like the big scary commander. He calls and he's like, "Look, well, I really need this." I, um, but you're right. I'm sure there's you add in the power dynamics that are at play of commander, soldier, you know, and yeah, all of those things. It's certainly, and, and also the machismo piece, right? Like I'm in the milieu and I'm a soldier. I'm in the army and sort of acknowledging in that context fertility challenges. Then you add in the Amir factor that it's Amir who generally is reluctant to acknowledge things like that. And like 100%, we uh, understand how this problem comes about. Zerbashat's touched on, I just want to, you know, talk for a, a bit about, um, you know, men's, a husband's responsibilities or obligations to his wife, um, that there's a set of, actually of 10 responsibilities or obligations that a husband has to his wife, one of which is, um, conjugal rights, meaning, you know, right, and this is from the Torah, from the book of Exodus, where it says, right, it's actually talking about the case in which a, a man takes a second wife, and it says, that if a man takes another wife, he cannot withhold which are understood to be um, conjugal rights, you know, sexual, you know, her sort of right to, you know, sex with him, um, clothing and food. And, you know, there's a whole conversation about how frequent that is um, that, you know, and it depends on the profession. It's not like a one, you know, one size fits all kind of thing. But at the, but at the same time, you know, a husband is obligated to meet his wife's, you know, kind of sexual needs or at least, you know, periodically with, with some degree of frequency. 
And there's also separately an obligation of pru revu, be fruitful and multiply, you know, which is also a mitzvah. So there's sort of two mitzvot that are at play in this conversation, right? It doesn't seem like the issue is that he's never agreeing to have sex with her. It seems like it's just, she says, I need, you know, it needs to be now. And he's unavailable. Um, my mom is in the Mishnah Torah. He talks about how he talks about, um, you know, sort of the right of refusal that the wife has for, you know, if the husband wants to travel, she could say, no, you know, you can't travel for work because then you're not going to be home with me, right? If he has a job that's close to home and, and he says, well, I want to take this other job that pays better, but it requires more travel, she can say, no, I don't want you to take that job because then you're going to be exhausted by the time you get home and you won't be meeting my needs, right? So, the, right, so all of this exists within halacha, within Jewish law, that, you know, the husband's obligated. And, and with the understanding that, you know, if he's a seafarer and is, you know, a merchant who's traveling around the world and she's okay with that profession, like he's not going to be able to have be home every week. Um, but generally speaking, you know, typically it's at least once a week for most professions. Camel drivers is like once every three months, I think. But for most professions, it's like at least once a week um, that, you know, he has to at least be available for for if she, if she so desires. And this is right. So that's a really important word, um, because this is not just they should have sex once a week to try to get pregnant, which is what you might think based on stereotypical, you know, families who are keeping by these kinds of laws um, and how large they are. But in fact, what this is saying is that if she desires to have sex, that it is her right and that her husband is obligated to satisfy that urge for her to to have sex, that for for the woman, it's not just about. Uh, procreation. In fact, the mitzvah is on the man, not on the woman for to mm-hmm. procreate. Um, but that it's actually about, um, desire and, and pleasure. So mm-hmm. that's something that we very rarely talk about, uh, and, and is, and is a big part of this, uh, this standard here. Right. And I think thinking about that once a week and, or, you know, again, depending on the profession, it talks about if, if you know, the guy has a job where he's sitting at home all day and he's not, you know, there's nothing that, that's taking away his energy, then like he should be available every night for his wife. Um, and I, right, touching on Rabbi Schatz's point, it's, you know, it doesn't say within the, you know, sort of fertility window or, you know, it's sort of as long as she's not in need of, even if it's, you know, not the right time of the month that's likely to lead to pregnancy. Right. So again, so it's not just about procreation. There is the mitzvah on the man, perhaps on the woman as well, but we generally don't, we generally understand it to be on the man, at least primarily to procreate. But then separately, there's, you know, the sexual responsibilities, which are not limited to procreative purposes. Um, and, you know, just touching on what happens if he doesn't fulfill that, um, that, you know, she can demand a divorce and he has to pay the ketubah. I mentioned this a little bit earlier that the ketubah isn't just a fancy artistic work that we hang on the wall, right? A, a ketubah is a legal document declaring the husband's obligations to his bride in the event that the marriage dissolves or is dissolved, you know, and not for like, 
right? If it's dissolved with fault and it's sort of on, like on her end, then he doesn't have to pay the ketubah. But if he just says, I don't want to be married to you anymore, or she says, you're not meeting your responsibilities, for example, feeding me, clothing me, um, you know, having sex with me, or if he dies, or you know, things like that as well. Um, sort of the, there's a monetary component based on the understanding that when they were married, he is generally speaking in that world, the primary breadwinner. And he has an obligation to pay for her, again, her food and clothing um, and sort of sustenance needs. And so that obligation extends even if they divorce um, or he dies, you know, that, that there's sort of an ongoing responsibility to pay a certain amount, which is understood to cover her living needs for a period of time. It's also interesting, I think this goes, I mean, I think this is still around today, but this goes to the way in which we we typically talk about sexuality, that it's not also the reverse, right? There's not like an egalitarian point to this in terms of like, oh, well, if the woman is a merchant, um, how many times does she have to have sex with her husband? The The underlying understanding is that the man will want to have sex with her more often and will make that known, whereas the woman might not make it known. Um, or maybe it's taboo to make it known, or you don't talk about your sexuality or anything. So this is putting in writing for men to learn, by the way, um, that they have an obligation to their wives, even if she doesn't say when he comes home, this is what we're doing because this is what I want. So I just wanted to Maybe that was clear to everybody, but I want to make it very clear that the reason it's written out this way is so that a woman doesn't have to vocalize that if it's not something she feels comfortable vocalizing, but knows that she will be receiving as part of the relationship, the healthy relationship that she's in. And by the way, we're not going to go into this too much, but, or really at all, but there are also pieces after this that talk about if she doesn't want to, you can't force her to, like, if you are a, uh, we'll just keep with merchant. If you're a merchant, no, we're going to go with rabbi. If you're a scholar and you come home and you're supposed to have sex with your wife every Friday, because that's when you can put your books down and, you know, focus on the human in front of you, then you, you are obligated to have sex with her if she wants it, right? You don't get to force yourself upon her because it says somewhere that, that a woman can have, you know, is expecting you to have sex with her once a week. So just so that we all know, it doesn't go that far. Um, and it is really up to if the woman is desiring this and, and wants it from her husband, then it is his obligation. I'm just, I was looking at the Maimonides. I'm just going to pull this up. Unfortunately, this section of Maimonides isn't translated. Um, so I'll just do, sort of do a running translation. But in this same chapter, right, it talks about a, a woman who, Right, a woman who refuses to have sex with her husband. Again, it's not saying one night. It's saying in, in an ongoing fashion, right? She can just say, no, I'm not interested tonight. But if she says, like, no, generally speaking, um, you know, sort of in an ongoing way, right? She's, he creates moredit, you know, so she's called a moredit, like, like, uh, Right, moret, uh, like a merit is a rebellion. So she's called, she's called rebellious. Sorry, I saw there was a chat and then I can't pull it up. I'll pull up the chat right afterwards. Um, so they ask her, why are you rebelling? <laughs> why, why don't you want to have sex with your husband? Im amram ma'astihu, she says, I, I hate him. 
I, I can't have sex with him. I hate him. Um, right? Just like I, I, he disgusts me. Um, you know, he, they, they force the husband to divorce her now. She's not like a, a prisoner. <laughs> like, should even at least know that. Like, you can't have sex with her even though she hates you. So she goes free without a ketubah, meaning she doesn't get a ketubah money because it's not his, right? He's not violating his responsibilities to her. She just is disgusted by him. Um, and right, and sort of it goes on, um, right? The, okay, so they can go on and marry others and, and so forth. Um, so it's kind of interesting the you know, she has sort of the right of, of refusal, but at a certain point, if she's just disgusted by him and has no interest at all ever of um, having sex with him, then they say, you know, he has to divorce her. Interestingly, thinking about like the Aguna situation, the way the Jewish divorce traditionally is like the man gives his wife a get, right? It's not a... It's not an even playing field. The man has to divorce the wife and, and not vice versa. Um, and that's why we have these halakhic prenups that I mentioned that sort of force the get into be, into action if uh, civil divorce proceedings take place. But like, right, if she's like, I can't stand him. And he's like, I don't care. I'm not divorcing you. They said, Kofino tell, literally you, you hit him, you force him, you force him even against his will to divorce her now because it's bad for both. Like, it, right, neither of them are getting their needs met. Um, so interesting to note, right? It's, it's not like the same both directions. Um, she does have an obligation to, at least periodically, avail herself. But um, if she's just not interested in him, then he's supposed to divorce her. And she doesn't get her ketubah. And she does not get her ketubah because it's not because he didn't, right? He, she I'm just saying, it's still, like, you're right. And there's not, like, so much wrong with it. And, like, there's still that moment of, like, if she's unhappy, she still doesn't get to take, get to be taken care of. Correct. Right? If she's the one who says, I want out, yeah, she doesn't get to then to say, and you have to pay me the ketubah. Right. Ketubah, she only gets the ketubah if either he says, I want out, or she says, you haven't met your legal obligations to me. I want a divorce and you're going to pay me, mm-hmm. right? But if she just says, I just don't like you anymore, you're right. In that case, but I think that's, I don't know, that seems reasonable. It, <laughs> reasonable is an interesting word, but I, I do think that it uh-huh. it it means that she has... Um, that she has agency and it also means that she would have to really not like him enough or really be willing enough to get out of this marriage to be okay with leaving it under those circumstances. Cause remember, we're not talking about 2021. We're talking about a really long time ago where if you left your husband's home, you were out of luck. Um, and you're probably moving back in with your parents, you know, but in all if they're alive, right? If like they're alive, like, but you're yeah. certainly not well protected. Correct. Sure. Correct. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out, just to like you know add a little yeah. fuel to the fire. Um, He's allowed to give her things; he just doesn't have to if she if she's the one who wants out. That was a very nice read of that. Yeah. Again, so here's a part yeah, of it. Like, you know? Would he though? No. Why oh, would no. he? No. He's mad. Yeah. He's leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. 
It's like the way most divorce proceedings leave. Everyone's on such good terms, and they're like, here, take a parting gift. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Any thoughts, comments? Karen. Karen. Okay, so I'm going to admit that I went through what she was going through, okay? And there is, it, it makes you insane, okay? And so that she's yelling at him, that she's the only one, she's absolutely right. So when you say, oh, I think they could have communicated better, I am sure they had. And he said, okay, we're going to, whatever it is on Wednesday, we're going to do it, okay? Yeah. So now he doesn't do it. And she's a yeah. crazy person, right? Okay. That's all I wanted to say. And their beds are together. So this must be an important thing. Right. So you're right on time. I love you. I love you beyond anything. And that's, and don't even bother. No, I, I totally, I, I totally understand. Um, and, and you are correct that there, first of all, there's a lot of love tonight. So nice. Um, that, uh, that she is hormonal, like beyond belief. She's pumping herself with hormones. And I'm not saying that what she did was inappropriate by any stretch of the imagination. Um, what I was saying was that I, I wonder if there was a way in which, and, and you could be right. I could be right. Who knows? Like the midrash on the, on the TV show could be that maybe they talked about it beforehand. Who knows? We don't know. But I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at based on, previous episodes is they don't seem to necessarily communicate, say the things that they actually mean to one another very well to begin with. So the fact that she was hormonal and yelling and nothing is wrong with that, my guess is he did not necessarily hear what she was getting at if she had been able to communicate in a different way. I'm not saying the way she communicated was wrong. I just don't know that he heard it in the right way. Um, and the other thing that you said that I also agreed with, now I don't remember. But, um, yeah. But, yes, uh, 100%. It was right, though. What? But he's, right, also, though. he's also the kind of guy who is more passive, wants yeah. to be a good boy kind of person. Also just, like, doesn't want to feel or, or share feelings or talk about feelings. Yeah, a tough guy. You know what I mean? I got to do this. Da, 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 da. Yeah. You know I, don't, I don't know if it's tough. But I, I think he's adorable. It's not about that. But I don't know how how he is. The the beds thing is what the other thing that you said. I remember when you started talking. Um, yes, the beds are separate at the beginning of the episode and then they come together. And from that, what we're supposed to understand is that she knew that she was going to be able to go to mikvah while he was uh, away at Miluim. And so when we see that scene and he puts her into back into bed drunk, um, we see the beds back together because she had already prepared for him to potentially be home um, and for them to be able to have sex, we assume, or at least sleep in the same bed together. Yeah. Debbie. So I know that you really like Amir, but he seems, yes, he seems really weak to me. And I think his self-esteem is so low and he just doesn't value himself. He's always like, you know, he just feels so weak. And I would, I mean, I would have a hard time being married to someone like that, really. Yeah. 
Um, we don't have to go into whether or not I like Amir. I, I think that I, I think that he is. Um, you like want to feel at least I want to feel for him as a character because I want him to like find you know cojones to to say a few things. Um, and he doesn't seem to ever really want to share actually how he's feeling and wants everybody else around him to kind of understand without him actually using words. Uh, and, and I don't like that about him. And I think that just as a, as a viewer, I want to see him as someone who can kind of grow into his skin and, and figure out how to communicate. But yes, I think that what we see in this episode is that A, he has feelings. He just doesn't share his feelings. Um, and that he also very much so loves his wife and isn't, isn't saying or showing that in the ways that she needs to see it or hear it in, in those moments. And, um, I think that is, that is where they are clashing right now because he should have left Miluim and called her. So she didn't go out that night. Right. And, um, yeah. Well, he tried, he tried once he left, he tried calling her. That's true. She she had thrown her phone in the sink, which I was like, ha, that phone does not work. I don't know why. Anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. Josh, you're the man. You can decide if you want to speak up or not. I'm speaking for him. About whether he loves his wife? No. <laughs> no, I think he loves I think he loves his wife. No, whether or not he like the communication or his kind of quietness around his feelings. You don't have to speak to it. I'm just offering you the space. He is. I agree that he is not good at communicating his feelings. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, but that's Amir, right? I mean, not the also, but in different ways, right? I think the only guy who seems to be reasonably. I mean, Yifat's also bad at communicating your feelings. They're all. Most of them are bad at communicating their feelings most of the time. Um, but right in different ways. Nati is more avoidant. I mean, Amir is avoided, but in a different way. He just tries to push things under the rug. Not he just right. sort of, you know, turns the other way and pretends they're they're not there. Um, and he fought his well, own. Well, I think Nati runs away from it, whereas Amir is still feeling it, just not expressing it. Yeah, right. So, no, I think that's certainly, I, I certainly think that's the case. Um, but, I mean, and I think, it, you know, it is sort of a courageous thing that he does at the end, but you know, of sort of, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to leave. I don't actually think he's at fault. I think he tried, I think as soon as he got into the car, he tried calling and it just, she had thrown her phone in the sink. Um, I don't know, but like that doesn't, like in that case, it, it's, I don't know. It seems like he was trying pretty hard. I, I kind of felt for him there. Like he was, uh, um, yeah, he was doing the best he could. Maybe he could have tried harder though, you know. Yeah. Any any other thoughts on that? Oh, go ahead. Nope, that's all right. Um, I just want to point out, just because only I heard this, but Debbie and Steve came to services this past Shabbat, and one of the things that she <laughs> that she said was that based on our class, she now knows how to read my face. So, like when I made faces during services, she knew exactly what I was thinking based on me oh. making faces when you speak. So, um, I'm glad that. Everyone is learning something from this class. Um, Although in this episode, Nakti comes clean with Daphna. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit. I 
Um, I don't know that it's coming clean, right? Because Nati, again, is just running away from something that seems hard, <laughs> um, as opposed to just being able to feel something out that could actually work. He just wants something that will be easy. Um, but he doesn't lie to her um, or, or really make excuses. Yeah. It takes him a while to do it. But I thought this was one of his more adult moments. That one. Yeah, I think so, too. I agree with that. I think, you know, it wasn't perfect. But I, I mean, I think she's someone who forces, right? She kind of uh, says, like, okay, this is what you're ignoring me. Tell me what's happening. And he does. He doesn't say, no, I, I don't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't ignoring you. He could have said I wasn't ignoring you or something, but he doesn't. He says, you're right. I was ignoring you. This is what's going on. So. And it's yeah. not like when he literally lets Yifat think that he's coming for Shabbos lunch and then never shows up. Right. Correct. Correct. That's true. He's grown. But also Daphna is, but Yifat's like the character who annoys me the most in the show. Um, but, but she is. And like, you know, I think Daphne is very good at like, okay, like, tell me what's happening here. Well, Whereas he also, doesn't and then gets annoyed that people aren't doing things the way she wants them to do it, but she doesn't communicate that, you know. Um, Daphne is very good at like, tell me what's happening right here. Well, she has a child and her child yeah. takes precedence over as Correct. much as she may not like it, takes precedence over her relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's dating for two. Right. And protecting him. And is like, I'm not going to play games. Like, no games. Like, uh, I can handle it if you're not interested, but just tell me, you know. Uh, and I think it's very good for Nanti. Whatever, end, whatever ends up happening, I don't know if this will be the end or if there's a, you know. But it's, like, good that he sort of has someone who's forcing him to confront what he's feeling, you know, and acknowledge it. Because I think with Yifat, Yifat... Was just always like kind of waiting and hoping, and, you know, and and never sort of forced the end, push the envelope with it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no. I think he actually thought that this relationship might really go someplace, that he would be a, deal well oh, with yeah. her and with him. At the beginning, I thought it, I just don't see it happening because he doesn't believe that a clown is important in the hospital. And that was a very important thing about her to her, that that she really is an important person in the hospital. But I think that what really happened is it's that the kid challenging him like that says, what kind of a doctor are you that you can't help my cat? Um, just shook me. He didn't know how to deal with that. It was it was the first sign of, of adversity, and I thought that's going to kill it for him because he can't deal. Maybe he can deal with a little bit of adversity after a while, but this was too soon for him. Mm-hmm. And I really thought that was a huge factor. It wasn't that he didn't like the idea of a kid. I think he really did like the idea of her already having a kid. It's that the kid wasn't fulfilling his fantasy of mm-hmm. what the kid would be um, right. at all times. Right. And I mentioned that earlier. Like, that is why kids do that. Like, kids put, like, they do, they do those things as a way of developing trust because if, if they could yell at their parent and their parent still loves them, then that's a way of show of right. It, it ultimately is a way of developing trust in a sense of unconditional love that I can get an I can get an angry I could yell at you, and you'll still love me, right? So that's why kids do that. 
subconsciously, and that's I'm sure why Evitar is subconsciously doing that, is like, I'm beginning to develop trust in you. Now I'm going to test that trust. Again, all of this is subconscious, but it's also all very normal. And Nati is like, oh, whoops, like, no, I don't know that you can trust me. I don't know that I'm like actually game. And so he's out. I I also wonder, I agree with everything you just said. Um, And always should. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, And I wonder if, if, Nati, like, Nati just, you really threw me off when you said that. Um, Nati really wants for this boy to love him and to, to care for him just as much as it's in the reverse. And I think that as soon as he sees that moment of, um, of tension, I think that Nati worries that he's going to break his heart, the little boy's heart. Mm-hmm. And he walks away. Um, as opposed to exactly what Ryan Pernick just said, which is as a child, he would actually have been okay had he showed up the next day and, and been there for him. But instead, Nati is hurting him probably more now by walking away because the child now thinks, okay, well, that was it. He couldn't handle that moment, so now he's walking away. Um, anyway, I, I think that's a – we don't know that for a fact, but given Nati's character, I wouldn't be surprised if that's – if he just walks away from things that he's worried he might ruin as opposed to stepping in and seeing if maybe it could actually be something. Rabbi Barbara and then Jeff, yeah. Um, I mean, I agree with everything everyone said. I also think – that the first time you're confronted with something so violent from a kid, you know, it's jarring. And if you're not in that sort of mode where you know how to deal with kids, then it does, it does throw you. The other thing is at, you know, I don't know, the kids in third grade, maybe, but, I don't think there's a distinction. He can make a distinction between a veterinary doctor and a people doctor. You know, a doctor is a doctor. Right, right. And he should be able to fix the cat, even though the cat's dead. Probably a part of Nazi that's like, I should be able to fix this cat, <laughs> right? And how come I, I'm not good enough, right? Because his whole thing is he's not, he's never good enough and I'm so weak and la, la, la. And I think that that is something that plays into this is someone's telling me I'm not good enough. And so maybe I'm really not good enough. Jeff. Now, I was just thinking of Nati's uh, relationship with his own father. And so it's on the, it's on the other side uh, you know, it's kind of a, a rough relationship there. And now he's got a, he, he's having a hard time dealing with a kid in the other direction, you know? Yeah. But I, I mean, I think it's true, but I, you know, you don't get the sense that like his dad was a bad parent, not he's having trouble figuring out how to deal with his dad having a second love. Um, but it, it, like, it did feel like there was a strong home he was raised in. Um, I love, I think, you know, it's di- there's also a, a sense in which it's different for you know a non-biological parent who's stepping into parenting when the kid is already eight or however old Evitar is like it's different when you're raising a kid from the time they're a baby and you're there the whole time like this is a kid who's already has a personality and already has all this stuff and it's pushing uh, boundaries and it's pushing boundaries and right and so 
again, like in Fernati, it's sort of like when the kid is just like all loving about him and like, you're so cool and I just want to be you. Like, that's great. But when it's actually like parenting, then it's like, oh, that's hard. I don't know if I can handle that, especially a kid that like already has a personality. Like, you know, they're just like kids, kids' personalities are pretty formed by the time they're three. So like this kid, you know, he already is like a, he has a personality, like very much already. Yeah, Karen. Uh, when a kid gets like that, really upset that somebody who obviously could fix what he needs, he's pissed off. Now, a, a parent or someone who has been around kids might comfort the kid and say, I'm so sorry that you are so sad. I'm not that kind of doctor. He could still run away and get pissed off. Mm -hmm. That's true. But there's some sort of hanging in there that he's not doing, or nor does he know. And did he ever get it? I don't know. But yeah, yeah. Eileen, did you have your hand up? I was just going to really say what I think the last, the last few conversations have been. If he had been the father all along, mm -hmm. he could have dealt with the situation. And I think the child could also. But the fact that this was totally out of his concept of even what to do or how to do it, I think just threw him for a loop. And he decided that it was impractical for him to pursue a relationship uh, with a child that he really hasn't raised or doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And it's it's too much for him. Yeah. Uh, whereas if it were his own child and he'd been there all along, it would be a different story. Yeah, for sure. And I think that he also clearly doesn't know, you know, how to be around children, let alone this child, right? And so he's trying to figure it out while also trying to probably impress <laughs> the child's mother. Um, and and the, the fathering of a child that's not actually your kid is so much harder than, than when you can, as Roy Parnick said, like grow up with a kid and have that kind of rapport. And by the time they get to that age, they they know um, how to trust you and how to interact with you. I think Whatever. also, like, as we had spoken about before, like, Nati connects with every guitar because Nati is a kid. Right. Not because Nati is a parent. Like, right? So, so like, Nati's good at being a kid. He's not good at being a caretaker. So and that, I, that's the and problem. When they were playing games, it was a lot of fun. Exactly. It was along his line. But then when it came to something serious, and it was a relationship. It was a different story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so Ray, do you have what's going on? Okay. Say? But then on the other hand, um, not to as a doctor and I mean, his bedside manner. What if it was a patient? You know, you know, how he would have dealt with. So he should have used more, more of himself. And trying to deal, whether it was a child or an adult, that makes you wonder how he would act if it was an adult that had lost, you know, mm -hmm. a father, mother, whatever. So. And I wonder if it being a kid is different, right? Because you are, you assume as the adult that you know how to handle a child, mm -hmm. whereas... If it was an adult, if it was an adult talking to him, having the same kind of reactions, would he feel kind of on a similar level level to know how to deal with it? Um, mm -hmm. And a kid just completely throws him off because yeah. so you could deal with it very similarly. It, the age gap is really throwing him for a loop, um, and it's always different, 
dealing with kids in front of their parents, whether or not you're dating the parent, um, right? Like when kids go away to camp, it is so much easier to deal with just the child than when you teach a child in like a day school classroom where you know that whatever you say to that kid is going to then go back to the parent and you're not scared of the child and how you're going to deal with the child and their behavior. You're worried about how the parent is going to react to the behavior, the grade, whatever it is that you that you gave to the kid. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.